0: Hello and welcome to this special bonus episode of Renoites. My name is Connor McQuivey. I am your host as always, but this week I am not the one conducting the interview. This episode is a collaboration with Vibrant Voices which is a diverse student newsroom based out of UNR. And this episode is hosted by Kathleen Leslie, who's with me now. Kathleen, thank you so much for working on this episode of Renoites and with Vibrant Voices. Can you start by telling me what Vibrant Voices is? Can you describe the group for me?
1: Vibrant Voices is a collaborative newsroom that's on the campus of University of Nevada, Reno, and we focus on multicultural and diversity reporting.
0: Excellent. So this episode that we did as a collaboration is with Guillermo Burt, who has two exhibitions in town right now, one at the Nevada Museum of Art and one at the Lilly Museum here on campus. Can you tell me why you chose Guillermo as a subject for this episode?
1: Well, I've been really interested in getting to know more local artists and artists in our general area. And I saw Guillermo's art and I was really inspired by it and I wanted to meet him and get to know more about why he does what he does.
0: Yeah, one of my favorite things with podcasting is it's a great excuse to get to talk to people who are doing interesting things where normally not everyone would give you a half an hour or 40 minutes of their time, but if you're doing a podcast, it's a great excuse to say, like, hey, let me talk to you for a while. What interests you in journalism in general? What, How far along are you in school, and what do you hope to do with your experience and learning here?
1: So I'm currently a sophomore and with journalism I'm kind of still figuring out what I want to do but I'm interested in broadcast news I love podcasting and audio I think audio is a really cool form of storytelling my dad and I have always listened to the radio growing up so I've always really enjoyed that and for me personally I'm hoping that with whatever work I do I can create a bigger impact and that's why I really admire the work of like advocacy reporting and that's why I'm part of Vibrant Voices
0: Excellent. Well, thank you so much for working with Renoites this semester. I've had a couple practicum students over the last couple seasons, and this is another opportunity to collaborate with Vibrant Voices. Lynn, who was a former practicum student, is the founder of the Vibrant Voices newsroom, I believe. So it's great to be able to share my platform with, you know, young reporters who are trying to make a difference as well. So thanks for taking the time to work on Renoites and for hosting this episode.
1: Thank you. It's been great getting to be a part of this.
0: And now, this week's episode, hosted by Kathleen Leslie, with Guillermo Burt.
1: Thank you for being here, and welcome to Renoites.
2: Well, hello, everybody. Uh, good to be here.
1: You have two exhibitions being shown in Reno, one at the Lily and the other at the Nevada Museum of Art. Can you tell me more about those?
2: The main exhibition, which is a retrospective, uh, quite large. And then, because of the scope of the exhibition, mainly two series called barcode series, it's a very conceptual work and what is after that is all connected, so we thought that would be a really good cut for this particular uh, group of pieces for the show. But the University of Lilly, which worked really close to the museum, uh, decided to do an early work. Essentially, some pieces from previous series, like two or three different series in the past. Some of very large collages with sumos and things like that. So I'm really excited that they collaborate because some people that doesn't know much my career, and my early work, then they're going to have the opportunity to see that.
1: Can you tell me more about your career?
2: I'm based in Los Angeles, originally from Chile, but I developed my entire career here in the United States, even though I went to college in Chile. So I developed so many different series and uh, media through these 40 years of career, essentially. But it was too much to put in this single show. It would be like a massive retrospective, but we thought about something more focused. And since the latest work is related to immigration and some American politics and the relationship with the crisis on the border. So we thought maybe it would be like a more focused exhibition will be make more sense and also the connection between all the different series is, is more evident. Even though the prior work is very relevant too because these are the ideas I've been following through. For example, the idea of the uh, urban archaeology. Think about archaeology not just like uh, vestiges of an ancient culture but also how the culture is evolving within the contemporary world. And also the idea of immigrants and ancient cultures like Mayan or Zapotecs in Mexico or Guatemala, how these uh, people can live simultaneously in Los Angeles. So it's like a bit of two worlds in, in a certain way. And then the culture tried to put together these two worlds together, like uh, with tapestries that are being woven by hand in the same traditional technique that they were hundreds of years ago with barcode and different interactive media. It's like a common experience instead of being something like ancient and and forgotten and far away. It's like something that happened in everyday life type of thing.
1: So with the barcode art, I remember scanning one of them and I was taken to a website page that said, Though we were never the chosen people, they kill us in the sign of the cross. How did you choose those quotes?
2: Each piece, each of the textiles is um, based on somebody who's relevant for the particular community. I went through several countries, the different countries, with my crew and you know group of people that I, I work in the project and the filming and the, you know, all the different uh, stages of the of the project, and encountered through narratives and through word of mouth, who are the people that they're kind of relevant for their culture, like they feel that they're relevant. We ran into this poet in the south of Chile. Her name is Graciela Huinao, very well known and very interesting poet within the community, but. Not as well known beyond that, you know? So we kind of discovered it to a certain degree. And their poetry was uh, blowing me away. Very interesting, very powerful. And it talked, you know, politics, you know, about the colonization and, and all that. It's still happening in Chile because there's dispute about land. So all these ancient problems, like, they're still current. It's not like something that happened in the past, but something that is still debated in the present. So I, I did a piece on her. So the piece itself is based on her... So we have a video documentary film when she read the poetry and talk about Mapudungun, which is the language of the Mapuche. Now we are adding another element. Uh, I don't know if you were aware of that, but because of the warriors that we put like augmented reality on them, we use the same augmented reality for the tapestries. So you can actually scan the tapestries and you see the layer of the video documentary in front of the tapestry and listen to the story.
1: That's really cool. And speaking of the Warriors art piece, can you describe in more detail like the process of making that and what it meant to you?
2: I've been doing um, a lot of representation of immigrants. I did an important work. It's called Tumble Dreams with mapping projection on tumbleweeds. And that I thought, you know, like a plant that doesn't have a root and it goes through the desert. It really kind of resembled the journey of the immigrants in the desert. Without roots and without, you know, like a nomadic kind of situation, so suddenly it hit me that you know this community. I've been thinking about that for a long time. I just looking. I was looking for a way to represent that. You know, when you have like a statue, or sculpture of somebody who is a big to do, you know, like scientist or somebody, they wanted to do like a sculpture on him. And I always felt like the the people that do certain things first line uh, workers or first line responders, they don't get that because uh, this is not so heroic in the traditional sense, but all together as a community, if you're talking about millions of people, like every morning they wake up five in the morning and they take a bus to you know to go to work and work all day long. And particularly the people that work in the field actually, uh, they're just, work is like crazy, you know, like they have to fill up these things with fruits and things like, and ran to just do it there, so waited, and then right back all day low, bending their knees. That kind of work, I wouldn't survive probably like a day myself. So I I feel like those people doesn't have a recognition, doesn't have somebody who really tell them that they are just so important and so relevant. So what I thought, it hit me like the idea of the Chinese terracotta warriors. What happened with them is that they were buried for 3,000 years and then suddenly they find out in the excavation that there was this army and then they dig it out and then you see them all are there and they are just so impressive but were so hidden and invisible. So I thought that this is a perfect metaphor, you know? These people are invisible. They're everywhere and they're, they're an army but nobody can see them. And when the pandemic came about, I thought, you know, now everybody can see them because you had to get somebody to deliver the food to your home and somebody had to still go and pick up the, you know, the the crop from the fields. And who's going to do that, you know? I mean, and if you don't do that, then you starve or you can't eat or you cannot, you know, survive. So at that point, I, I realized that these invisible people, they become visible and people realize the value of oh, that community. It happened to be my community, the Latinos in general, That you know, these menial jobs, uh, they're so relevant. So I thought, uh, we're going to do an army, like the like warriors, but sort of like the, the American experience, like warriors here in America, and all the workers, you know, first-line workers, first-line responders. So I have um, carpenters and cleaning people and nurses and firefighters and, you know, all of that. And they look pretty impressive, actually. And if I go in more detail in terms of aesthetics, I would say that it was really interesting because, you know, I was thinking about the landscape of the border in between um, the United States and Mexico, and usually it's the desert, you know, the desert, the Arizona desert, you know, all of it. So I thought the desert usually had this rock that they are like, you know, with lines. Those lines are geological layers, you know, so the time is being captured in the, in the landscape. So you see the landscape, you see the time being laid out on top of each other. And I thought, you know, these people should be the same, you know, should have that kind of, they're coming from there, they should come with the time, with their own time. So I I slice the images, I 3D scan the people, and then uh, I make the 3D models, life size, and then we slice it um, in the digital, like uh, the files. And then we cut each individual layer with a laser. And then we put it back together. So you see all these layers, no? Uh, like a, a figure that is a life-size, it has like 500 to 600 layers. And then those layers, because they are like an eighth of an inch interval, you, you can see the edges, like pixelation or something. And the entire thing, there is a certain uh, level of motion. So they're not static, they're not old. I, I kind of like the things that they are not finished in a traditional way. I, I, I like to show the process. So people engage in something that is happening, not something that is was and then it's put in front of them as a finished piece, but something that is kind of vestiges of how it was built. So I thought that layers that kind of reflect the landscape also is very meaningful. And also because when you burn it with a laser, kind of make the wood to be darker. So you got these 2 tone people, as you say, the layers. So I thought that resembled the landscape and also get the idea of the layers and the time and the culture. You know, the culture embedded in the time. So that's essentially the idea behind. And because the show is called The Journey, these are the warriors, but it's the idea of the the transition, the, the coming, the process of these warriors to become who they are.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I think it's really amazing how much thought and detail that you put into that. Another thing that I noticed when I was at the exhibit is that there's mirrors along the side of the warriors' art piece. What's the purpose of that?
2: In the terracotta Warriors there were like 3,000 of them and of course, uh, this takes like two months to do one, one piece. So uh, to do 3,000 will take like hundreds of years. <laughs> you know, th- those Terracotta Warriors were done by an army of thousands. But in this case, I was just me with my team. So we had to multiply the, the Warriors and put mirrors in both sides, to create like an infinity room, and then multiply the people there. But we keep on doing it and keep on growing. So it's like a community that's going to be larger. But still, it's a, it's a good idea to, to project them and <laughs> multiply them.
1: I hear a noise in the background.
2: They're building one of the one of the warriors actually, ah, and then they do the the, the with the gun. The, you know, like that's the thing that you hear Chuck, 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 chuck.
1: Oh, that's so cool! So, with the warriors art piece, were the warriors based on people that you knew?
2: Yeah, mainly I started that way. The first that I did is uh, Margarita, my cleaning lady. She cleaned my home once a week, I guess, for the last few years, and then. Alex, Alex is my carpenter. You are the guy who was making the noise. After we cut all the layers, they had to put it together and build it layer by layer. So he put the glue and put the new layer and put the nails and they had like a metal bars in the center to line them up. So uh, yeah, it's, it's a very tedious and long process to build one piece, you know?
1: I know earlier you mentioned uh, Tumble Dreams. That was one of my favorite art pieces when I went. I really liked that it was like completely encased in darkness and all you could really see was the tumbleweeds and the video projecting. What was your inspiration for that one? Can you tell me more about that?
2: I thought, metaphorically speaking, uh, the tumbleweed sort of represent the idea of a nomadic form or somebody who doesn't have roots and it has to be blown out by the wind. So without certain secure direction or goal so the immigrant in the beginning where they're going by luck you know they just try to cross and then they just sometimes somebody got cut or somebody got uh, robbed it's very dangerous i thought that it was a perfect metaphor for that and and i also like this thing happened in a way that they're very strange but i've been trying to work in that idea and and figure out how to present it and what kind of imagery projected and all that. And then uh, when I was driving to the studio in one occasion, it was a giant one, the, my biggest one, like five feet wide. It was right in front of, in the middle of the street, like when I get into my studio. I don't know how I get there. And then I stop my car and I put a rope in the and then just drove it into my studio. And um, that, I start projecting stuff on it and you know start getting the idea of how they look, how it work. I was surprised myself how well it worked because if you project something, the the projection has to be a surface, like an actual solid surface, but the light goes through the layers of this very thin, you know, like a straw kind of sticks type of thing from the tumbleweed, but all the layers get to be projected and you can make the pictures in your eyes or mine or something and and it come out pretty solid. Uh, So you can really see the videos, particularly the emotion because if it would be static It might kind of decompose a little bit or lose quality. But since it's in motion, your eyes can fill up the gap and kind of you can see the the actual image. But it's very dramatic, the fact that, you know, these are very pinchy, uh, you know, you touch and you get thorns and stuff. So that is, that's as a canvas, you know, for the projection. It's kind of... um, In one hand, it's kind of warm and it's kind of something that you feel familiar to you, these these shapes, but at the same time, they're very fragile and and peachy. So it's kind of a mixed feeling, but I think it worked really well. I I mean, the way I projected and, and worked with them, they're sort of like a planet, like a like a solar system, like a little galaxy there. So you walk around, you look at it from different angles and it's never the same thing, you know, it's like always overlapping of shadows and lights and things. So uh, I think it came out pretty good. We were concerned actually, because we did this originally in Los Angeles, based on a grant that I got from the city of Los Angeles. But the exhibition was like, everybody got that grant. So they were very different kind of work, one right next to each other. So it, the piece looked good in itself, but it wasn't, you know, they were not, nothing was connected. There's no a theme or anything. But in this case, because you're talking about different other angles related to the same overall concept, when you see the actual Tumble of Dreams, uh, it kind of make a lot of sense in that context, and I feel like you get a lot more out of it.
1: I also really loved your soundbite collection. I think that personally was one of my favorites. And I also enjoyed that it was neon. And neon is actually an important part of Nevada's history and our state element. So why did you choose to use neon for that art piece?
2: There was a friend of mine, a great painter actually, that he was, he used to tell me that if you don't know how to paint, paint big. <laughs> so uh, i thought you want to say something that it would be eye catchy you do it in neon it has a certain magnetism you know like you see a neon and you get like like a like a fly or like a moth to be stuck to it you know and the colors they're so seductive very bright and the light is you can beat that this is hand-blown neon so it's like a real thing and it's so like an old fashion technique into a certain degree, but can identify with the 50 or something. It's so like a, essentially signage. When they when capture your attention, you know, you put it in neon. And so some of the pieces, for example, you don't have the right to ma- remain silent. Of course, it's a contradiction in itself, but it's very straightforward. I mean, people really understand the message. You cannot keep silent if you feel like you have to speak up. So it's a, like a like a way to say that it's kind of a little funny, humorous to a certain degree, but it's very serious politically. They have another one that had more specific political points, but uh, there's another one that says there's no. I forget how you said.
1: Oh yeah, um, there is no filter for toxic culture.
2: Yes, there's no filter for toxic culture. The center is in motion and it has this Sardus material kind of logo in it. But the idea that, you know, you use filters to do this, any kind of pollution, you have a filter for it. Oil pollution for the cars or any machinery or whatever you got a filter but for toxic culture it's not really a filter and that's that, that's definitely an issue so you just question that whether anything can be done because uh, obviously nobody wants toxicity in their life but we can we can avoid it i mean now become everything become toxic the culture itself you know become toxic so there's no escape and that's you have to point it out but you know I mean, I'm not there to give solutions, but just talk about the issue and, and, and get different angles to it so people can have a conversation.
1: Yeah, definitely. Bringing awareness to it is still important.
2: Yes. And then the, some of the other ones with Gold Bars about the Inquisition and about the fake news and all of that. You know, I thought the idea of sound bites in politics, there's a lot of things in politics that. Well, you know, I'm an artist, I'm not a politician, so I'm very critical of the, the entire political process because uh, there's too much money on it. People that got more money got more exposure, they got more ears and eyeballs, and then they they have all these people that repeat their talking points, which are these sound bites. you know? You just come out with something, some strategies come out with something, and then they just pound it and pound it, and people start getting their head and it's not like it's about about like a dialogue that you cannot really understand what's going on it's about convincing people without having them think about it it's just like something easy to digest essentially that's the soundbite, and this is what i do you just, but you know with a twist of course but that's essentially this is they're very kind of whimsical as you wish or or humorous
1: Yeah, absolutely. And what else, like what other emotions do you hope for people to get out of your exhibitions?
2: That's a good one, actually. I'm not sure if I have a predetermined thought about what they should get back uh, out of it. I am more surprised than anybody to see all this work together actually because when i did each individual piece probably was exhibited in a particular installation or a particular location Uh, and then you know years pass by and i do another one in another country or whatever and then different contexts and and everything has different meanings and and timing you know in the time when i do it in my own personal life and in the political life, you know, it was different timing. So when you put all the work together uh, and then you walk around and it's like a like a time capsule type of thing, you know, that you work through different periods of your own production. I mean, I really enjoy the show. I think it can, it's it has a lot of cohesiveness and, and it's, it has a lot of different medias, but they are not competing to each other. They are not uh, overlapping each other. They are just really well designed. The, the, the design of the exhibition by the museum it was very good so the people don't get overwhelmed and they can just take you know each thing at a time and they had to form their own opinion I don't have an agenda in that regard I mean every piece has its own meaning and very clear and specific for myself and what I am proposing but I really like to hear the opinion of people you never know they have personal experiences that they bring with themselves when they see the work and then they be touched in a certain manner that I I wasn't expected. Uh, And that's really, for me, is the more interesting thing to see how the people react, not because I wanted to react that way, but because of the spontaneity, how the feeling is about the material, the texture, the images, you know, the entire experience.
1: Yeah, that makes sense. What does it feel like for you to make art and what does it feel like looking at the art you've created?
2: So to make art is, is a full time job for me. It's like a lot of work, you know. It's like just like a job. I do spend all my time thinking about media and building stuff and engagements and, you know, just how to build this uh, network of communities and ideas and go to shows and. Museums and travel, just to get some interesting perspective on some of the issues that I've been thinking about. There's a possibility that I do a project in India next year and in something in Europe as well, and they're going to be customized to their own particular communities and people in that region. It kind of keeps me on my toes and and try to feel like you know this is very serious moves. Uh, you have to kind of step up and do something really interesting. And then also you have a lot of the uh, element that you've been carrying through with you that you started from the beginning. And after you do so much, then you select certain ideas that they kind of feel that they belong to you. So it's thing, like you collect them. And then it's not like your style, but the, the, the kind of subject matter that you are known to develop or work with, but in a different context, different context all the time. The thing about the job, I mean, the, the work uh, as an artist, but the expectation actually is always the next thing. You know, it's always when you're done with something and you love it and you get blown away and you show it to people, but then that's what's done. And then you have to go to the next thing, what, what excites you, what, what motivates you. And in that regard, I would say there's very many artists actually that they, I mean, it sounds like a criticism actually, and it might be one, but some people that you see in 20 years later and it seems like it's the same painting that he painted for 20 years but it's different. It's different, it's not the same painting, but it's the same, there's no different. I mean, like virtually, they're they're the same colors and mix them up. And and I feel like I I had to kind of throw everything away every time that I'm finished this series, you know, even the technique that I use, you know, either with tumbleweed, uh, tapestries, neon, uh, big life-size sculptures. And, you know, so my next thing is a a different story. It's not, I'm, I'm doing, I'm thinking about something else and thinking It has different visual references and then you have to go along with it. So my work is not about style, but about substance or or concept.
1: Yeah, that's a really cool way to put that. And how do you connect with yourself to discover the new forms of media that you want to produce?
2: Well, there's a lot of things going on and I try to keep on top of, of things. There's so much innovation in technology, but traditionally I've been always going to what it's called high and low, you know I mean one, one of the things that I, I I'm thinking about working with is the, the idea of cross cross-pollination, you know, working with bees and working with the wax and the bees and the whole thing. But this because of the idea of immigration too, you know, but that will integrate actual bees in the process. But the idea of just like a reframe the, the discussion about immigration, to a process of cross-pollination, you know, something that is a positive concept and everybody understands that the bees bring the pollen and create a better world and more variety and more colors and it's good for the fields and good for the growth and all of that. But if you see it as more a political term and term of borders and different status of citizens, you know, all of that, then there's no win proposition. You have to kind of be beyond, beyond those uh, obvious limitation and, and, and have a different kind of conversation.
1: Yeah, I really like the idea of reframing that. I think that's everything that I have to ask on my end. But is there anything that you'd like to share that I haven't asked about?
2: Well, I just going to mention about the warriors and my work with the Latino community in this particular project. that has been very focused because... Traditionally, when I was working with the Native Americans in in Guatemala, Mexico, uh, Oaxaca, I I was thinking about the the ancient, the culture, the the tradition, the first inhabitant of America, let's say, you know. But then I thought about the border zone, you know, like the cross, crossover. And now I'm in a new generation where the people that they are here and they are the children of the immigrants and they are doing a big contribution to the culture through their work and through their expertise and, and knowledge. So that's kind of, this is transition, but it's not different, but it's sort of like a, I need to go through stages and, and kind of create that connection. So I, I think that that is very relevant. to subject matter, the value of the community and how being demonized in too many instances. But I had to propose this Warriors exhibition as sort of like an homage to these workers, which is really definitely the
1: yeah, absolutely. I think that's really amazing. Thank you so much, Guillermo.
2: Thank you. I mean, it was great, it was great talking to you, and uh, I'm glad that uh, we did this.
0: Listeners, thank you so much for tuning in to this special episode of Renoite, a collaboration with Vibrant Voices, a student newsroom from the Reynolds School of Journalism at UNR. And special thanks, of course, to our guest Guillermo Burt, and of course Kathleen Leslie for hosting this episode. Fantastic job, really great to collaborate. It was great to be able to share more about what is happening at the Nevada Museum of Art. Hopefully, this can be the first of several episodes about or with the artists who are showing work at the museum. Really great to talk to Guillermo and really appreciated the opportunity. If you enjoyed this episode, make sure to follow Vibrant Voices on Instagram. That's VV underscore UNR and Renoites. If you don't follow Renoites on Instagram yet, that's at Renoites. Let us know what you thought of the episode. Send us comments to those Instagram pages. You can also email me, Connor, C-O-N-O-R, at renoites.com. And let us know who else you'd like to hear on the podcast, either on Renoites or Vibrant Voices. Always looking for suggestions of guests and really appreciate your input. Thank you so much for listening.